Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this evening that you have given us to come together and study your word as we study now uh, how to deal with perilous times, the times that we're in. Uh, give us wisdom, give us insight, give us understanding, illuminate us by the, uh, the, by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can apply it and live it out before you. Bless our night now in Jesus' name, amen. Um, all right, so we're going to continue in uh, our series, and now we're mov- we, we're, we dealt with long-suffering last Wednesday, and now we're moving into love. And these are the, uh, the, the different aspects that Paul was mentioning to the believers that were suffering persecution and how basically he got through perilous times and difficult times. And again, uh, just to reiterate, um, the last days are called perilous times. We're in the last days. We've been in the last days since World War I. And things are getting worse and worse, obviously. And so these admonitions from the Apostle Paul, we've taken them uh, in big chunks and, and, and kind of uh, unpacked them a lot. And so now we're gonna, I'm going to unpack love. Now you think, well, I, I know what love is. And um, a lot of people don't understand that if you don't know how to receive love, you actually can't give it. And so po- people may know the definitions of love, um, but they, 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 because they don't know how to receive it from God, they can't give it out. So the other thing that we, we face in our culture is m- many people think they know what love is, and they say they define love as love is love. And what's the difference? Well, to them, love is an emotion, and it's not defined by anything that has any basis in truth. And you, what you'll see from tonight, that in order to deal with perilous times and hard times, you have to have the ability to bond to people, bond to the right people and not to the wrong, and not to the wrong people. And that's what ends up happening, because in perilous times, you don't know who to trust, that's one of the, the, the hardest things in, in times of persecution is who to trust. And what you'll realize that when the heat keeps getting put on the church and, and, and the heat gets putting uh, on believers, um, not all the believers that claim to be Christian are trustable, uh, are, 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 are people that you can rely on. They're not, they're not typically people that can be in the foxhole with you and that, that you know... Um, that will be fighting. Because what you'll find out with persecutions is a lot of times you'll stand alone. And then you'll look around and you'll see a few people with you that you didn't expect to see. And a lot of people that you expected to see not there. And so the, the actual, actually the, the concept of love is really the, one of the major ways you handle persecution. Um, we'll talk about love for enemies and, and things of that nature, but really it's the ability to know who to connect to pro- properly. So we'll flush that out. So, so Paul mentions that uh, in his saying to Timothy. So one of the, the, the great um, definitions of it is found in 1 John 4, 7 through 11. It says, beloved, let us love one another. Okay, so that's a command for, the love, for love is of God. And when he's referring to love, he's using the word agape, okay? And I'll talk about that, but it's a specific word. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he, uh, and, and he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, this is not a salvation passage, obviously, because he's talking to believers. So when he says everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, he who does not love does not know God, has to do with a fellowship uh, concept. It has to do with a... Um, uh, if the person walks in fellowship with the Lord or is abiding in the Lord. And so the knowledge that he's talking about that, that, that knows, does not know God, it's not talking about like Matthew 7, I've, I never knew you. It is the concept that you don't know God in fellowship. You don't know, you don't know what God is like you know, on a personal level because you don't walk with him. You're saved, but you don't have an intimacy with him. You don't have a, a walking relationship with him that would lead into spiritual maturity. And so what he's dealing with uh, is believers that are having a hard time expressing love uh, to other believers. So there's a problem in the congregation, so to speak, and that's why he's dealing with this. And those who have been born again, is what he's saying is, 
Now that you've been born again, you've been given the capacity to love as God loves, but that's not a guarantee that you can love as God loves. And so you've been born with the capacity, and that, that born-again spirit, born of God, is what it's referring to. Um, that aspect of you, that new nature, has that capacity. But the thing is, you have to learn how to use that capacity. It's not automatic. It just doesn't come natural. Now, the other forms of love may come natural. Like when we talk about storge, that, that Greek word for love has to do with familial love. So like a mom would love her child instantaneously, that's storge, but that's not agape. You have to learn to agape people. So storge, people get that confused with agape. They also get eros confused with agape. Eros is romantic love. Actually, eros is really emotionally driven love. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. And then you have Philadelphia or philea uh, love, which is a brotherly love or friendly love. And that's different as well too. But in this context, we're dealing with agape, and that's what Paul's dealing with, is agape love. By definition, agape love is a self-sacrificing love that seeks the best for the other person, okay? A self-sacrificing love that seeks the best for the other person. It doesn't include Philadelphia or Philea. It doesn't include Storge, and it doesn't definitely include Eros. Um, Agape stands alone. So when Paul says God demonstrates his own agape towards us in this, that while we were still sinners or enemies of him, basically, Christ Jesus dies for us, right? Died for us. And that's the, the, the demonstration of agape. It is a self-sacrificing love for the good of the other person, which is demonstrated by the cross. It's, it, you can't get a better example and a more beautiful example of that agape. Okay. So he goes, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we may live through him, okay? So that manifestation is, is shown to us, is demonstrated to us, obviously, um, the, and, and the fact that we might emulate that, that we might live through him. So in Messiah, which basically, uh, now that I'm saved and have a new nature and I'm born again, I do possess this capacity that, that gives people agape. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So it's not that this comes natural to us. It's that God has to love us first. We have to receive that love in order to be able to, to, to give it away is the idea. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought, and notice the word ought, or it, should be, it can be translated should, uh, love one another. Should is the operative words. It's not a guarantee, but we should do this. If you're accessing the new nature and you're receiving the love of God, the kind of love that demonstrated itself on a cross, and if you can receive that love, then you can give it out, is the idea. Well, then there, therein lies the application and the question then. How do I give it out? Because agape is not natural to us. It's actually a supernatural love. They, the, the, so as an example, agape is, has the ability to love your enemies. I mean, really bad enemies, like ex-spouses types of enemies, right? Okay? The, those types of enemies, right? And you're like, I, oh, I, 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 I don't know how to do that. That's right, you don't, because it, it's, it's a supernatural. It's not inherently... Uh, 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 you're not born with it. Uh, you're born with storge. You have an instant familial love, stuff like that. But agape is a whole different ballgame. It's actually a, a, God, a, a God-inspired love that goes through you. Okay, so like I said, there's four types of love. And you have to know which love we're dealing with. So um, in your familial relationships, you're dealing with storge, okay? So my mother loves her child. You love your mom and dad, Vice versa, okay? And then philea, obviously, is friendship love. Now, with, with philea, this is all dependent on whether you want to express this. It's totally uh, up to you whether you want to be friends with somebody. No one forces you to do that, okay? So this philea is not required of you. It's not a command. 
given to you. It is your option. Um, with storge, that might be a little bit difficult sometimes with, with relatives that are very difficult to be with. And, and storge uh, can be messed up. It actually can be broken. And you can start, you can, a lot of people have bad relationships with their parents and bad relationships with their relatives. And storge is not required of you either. Even though that is natural to your nature, it's not required. And neither is Philadelphia. Um, the, you, it, interesting, if you go back to the Ten Commandments, the commandment is, thou shall honor your father and mother so that you can live long in, in the land. And then Paul reinterprets it so that you can have a long life. Um, so why doesn't he use the word love? You shall love your mom and dad. You shall love your father and mother. He uses the word honor because it's different. It's to give weight to your parents. It's to respect it. But, he, but the command assumes that in many relationships, there will not be love, a storge love for someone's own parents. So the command is simply, you shall honor them then. Uh, you are not commanded to love them, but you must give weight to them. You must give respect to them and honor them, but you, you're not required to love. Isn't that interesting? Uh, most people think it's required. It is not. It is simply to honor. And that is carried into the New Testament. So like I say, filet fil- fil- is not re- required, and eros is not required. Now, eros is romantic love. And um, this is a feeling that, you know, you, that is, is supposed to be within the bounds of marriage, this is what happens when you date, and that eros gives you that romantic feeling. If there's attraction, um, the whole thing, uh, the, you know, we call it chemistry or whatever, but it's really the laws of attraction that, that, that God has set up in human beings to, that they're attracted to one another and they complement one another. And that's typically how attraction works, and then it, it spikes up um, emotions, okay? But here's the thing. Um, that eros is supposed to be a result of bonding on, on, a, a, on an agape level to begin with, and then bonding on a philea level, and then when marriage comes, that, that, that becomes the storge because the two are bonded in, in that as family. Um, but if the couple, let's say, let's say, for example, a couple is dating, if they do dating right, they will first start off with seeking the best for one another and friendship, okay? So philea and agape. They will seek the best for one another and become friends. If they can, if they can bond at that level initially before they bond physically, then, then things are really set in motion. But the problem is when people hook up in our hookup culture is they bond in eros first physically and they haven't bonded in agape, nor have they bonded in, in philea. And so all they have is a physical bond, but there's nothing to connect them emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, which is supposed to be done with agape and philea. And so the, the, the couple actually sabotages the relationship, sabotages their bonding ability by having sex before marriage. That's what happens. And this is why so many people, they get into marriage, and then they have bonding issues later on because they didn't know how to bond to begin with. And now they're in a marriage, and they're supposed to be bonded, but they don't feel like bonding, and they are, are, a lot of them are incapable of bonding um, very well to, to, to some degree. Um, let's go back to agape then. <clears throat> to understand agape then, it, it's not about caring about somebody. It, that's, a, that's a result of it, but it's, it, people think love is about caring for one another. It is, but it's not the main issue. It's not about having the best intentions of one another either because what you'll see with agape is actually goes into action. God demonstrates his love for us. He went into action. So agape doesn't just sit there. It actually sacrifices itself in action for the other person. Okay, So, so it's not just good intentions. Uh, you know the old saying, good intentions have paved the road to hell, basically. Um, and it's not automatic. It's, it's not something that we're, it, it, we're inclined to do. It's not normal to us. Um, anyway, so like I said, in order to receive agape love and then give it out, um, you got to know deep down inside of you what parts of you hold things back. 
Um, there's, and, and you can see this in relationships. Relationships is probably the easiest thing to, 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 to understand this in. So like, when you're in a relationship with somebody, and, and maybe let's go back to your dating years when you were dating. And maybe you dated a few people here and there. And you noticed that when you dated, you didn't, you didn't connect to them. You didn't bond to them. And that's why probably you dumped them or you moved on or whatever you needed to do. Okay? Uh, because you saw that um, you just couldn't connect. Now, a lot of us don't know what, we're, what, what that is. We just say, I'm not connecting with them. But what's, what's happening is the other person is holding pieces of themselves back in that relationship. So the longer you go into that relationship, you're going out to dinner, you go to a movie, and when you start talking to them, you're noticing they keep resisting and they won't let you in. Now, you may not be able to articulate that, but that's actually what's happening. They're holding themselves back. Uh, and, they're, and usually they're protecting themselves from the relationship. Okay? So they're, they're, and the real key on all of this is because they've been wounded. They're wounded. And typically the wound has come uh, earlier on in their life, somewhere down the line in history, that someone that they looked up to, someone that they trusted, someone that was important to them, did something wrong to them, okay, relationally speaking. Betrayed them, who knows, uh, you know, stabbed them in the back, uh, wasn't there for them when they should have been, abandoned them. Um, abused them. Uh, it could be anything. So it's someone that's important to them that did bad things to them. Okay? So what ends up happening is they become wounded. And that wound is what they're protecting because they don't want to be hurt like that again, ever. And so in their relationships, they will hold pieces of themselves back. And so that's why they start becoming non-connectors. And they don't know how to... How, how to how to give anything out because they're afraid. And so they hold everything back. And that, that, that they actually sabotage their relationships this way. Um, so let's talk about this then because, again, we're not, I'm not, not talking about dating or, in, or even marriage. I'm going beyond this. I'm going on why is this important in the face of persecution when things are rough? Well, the key is you will need each other. You, we will need all of us in here to be able to bond at some level to watch each other's back. Now, if I can't even do that in a relationship with my own spouse, and I can't even do that with someone I date, what makes me think I can bond outside of that? Well, it's going to be difficult. And what happens is when persecution comes and you don't know how to connect to other people, it will drive you into isolation and then when you're isolated, that's where fear starts working on you. And then when you have fear working on you, you make bad decisions and you do stupid things. And you compromise. And you go with the flow. And you will go with the regime or whatever the regime tells you to do. Because you're not bonding to other people that can actually give you strength to fight the battle. So love becomes the major bonder and connector in times of persecution for the church. So if you look at the, the persecuted church around the world, uh, those churches that are going through heavy persecution are really bonded together. They, they, the people in China, you know, or people in Iran, the Christians there, they're bonded to each other. They're watching each other's back. They're caring for one another. Why? Because you can't afford not to. You cannot be isolated in China. You cannot be isolated in Iran or Nigeria or wherever the persecuted church is. You have to have connections. So they are forced to learn them. They're forced to do it. Okay, in America, we haven't seen persecution a lot, but it's coming. We know that. That's why we, we call it perilous times. And so our ability to bond with each other is going to be paramount. So understanding this, with, with bonding, you have a subject-object relationship, okay? Um, and, and, and so people, there's a, there's a thing in psychology that's totally wrong. And, and let, me, let me just dispel this nonsense out there in psychology, and I hear it all the time. And the, the psychologists, the secular psychologists will say, well, you can't love others until you love yourself. That is a flat-out lie, 
That's actually not true. That's not the biblical definition of love. The biblical definition of love means it's a subject-object relationship. When we say that God is love, the reason we can say God is love is because there's the Trinity and there's a subject-object relationship within the identities of the Trinity. And so the Father loves the Son, right? And the Son loves the Father. There's a subject-object relationship in the Trinity, and that's where you get the definition of love. You have to have a subject-object, okay? It is, it is non-biblical to say, I don't love myself enough. That's, that's totally unbiblical to say that. Um, the problem is most of us are facing narcissism in our own souls. We actually love ourselves too much. That's really the problem. Um, and so when, when you hear psychologists say that, that that's just nonsense. Um, furthermore, some people are afraid to give love because they think it comes in amounts. That, like, have you ever been like, in, uh, in high school and you had people, or even they do this as adults, they, they, um, they, they want to be friends with you, but they won't let you be friends with other people. You ran into that? And they just want you. Because they're afraid that if you love other people, then your love will run out and you won't have any love for them. Now, you, can see, you, 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 you get that from like needy people when you date, right? They're very needy, and they, they, they have to consume 100% of your time. You can't have any friends outside of that relationship. A lot of those people think that love is a commodity and has a certain amount, and then it, and then it runs out. But agape never runs out. It's endless because it's from God. It just continues to flow through you all the time if, if you know how to do it uh, or, or access it correctly. So to give this out, to give agape out, self-sacrificing love for the benefit of others, I have to actually know how to bond to people. I have to know how to get into relationship with them. And that requires a lot of things. How do you do this? Well, first of all, I have to do many, many things. I have to be willing to share parts of me with others. And that's what a lot of people are not comfortable with. Now, again, if you think about yourself, is there a part of you that's, that, that you're protecting, that you don't want to share your feelings. You don't want to share your desires. You don't want to share your dreams. You don't want to share your fears. That's, that's a, a big problem for a lot of people. They don't want to share their failures, and they don't want to share their history. Okay? And, 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 and when a person does not want to give to a relationship in these areas, you can't connect to them. Now, the, the, these are formalized, and again, you know, when you're dating somebody or, or in a relationship with somebody, you know, you're not going to say, well, do they, are they sharing their feelings? No. You'll just notice that they, you can't get through to them. You just, you're blocked. And, and so you have to be willing to, to talk about this with people, and o- this is called opening up. Now, we don't do it to the, you know, to the drugstore clerk at Walgreens. We don't do that, right? We're not doing this, right? But you, so you, you got to know who to pick, that who am I going to surround myself with? So again, here's the stat. Typically, the stat is you're going to surround yourself with five people, and that's where you're going to spend the most time. And you have to pick those people very wisely, those five people. But with those five people, you need to do this. Okay? So we're not talking about doing it to everybody, but you need a circle of people around you that you can do this, that you can express your failures and your frustrations, and them not judge you for it. So oh, I can't believe you're so mad. You know, no, you have someone that listens to you and can, and, and can empathize with you or talk about your fears. It's funny, I go into marriage counseling and I find that couples, I say, hey man, tell me about your communication. Well, we can't communicate. And I said, what do you mean you can't communicate? You're talking right now, what do you mean you can't communicate? Well, we, you know, we just, you know, um, we're, not, we're not connecting. And so then I ask them, what's the topic of a conversation between you guys? And they'll say, well, we talk about, you know, tomorrow we got to go to the, take the kids to school. Uh, uh, Billy Bob has to go to the dentist. He's going to get braces on. And then I got to pay this bill. Then I got the pool guy who's not cleaning the pool. I, he's, I got to get onto him about that. And then the dog needs a rabies shot. And then in this, in this, whatever, whatever. And they're talking and they're talking and talking, but they're never talking about this stuff. They're just talking about, like, being a slave to the children, so to speak, right? 
we're doing this, we've got to take them to soccer, we've got to do them this, we've got to do that. And that's all they're doing. And basically their communication is, is non-relational. That's basically what it is. It's non-relational. And you can, you can do that with people, that's fine. But if you're going to have those five people you're connecting to, and all you talk about like, is the weather you know, or stuff like that, and you never go down to a deeper level, you're not connecting. And, and so it's funny, um, I'll say, well, to the couple, I said, well, here's what we need to do. You need to like, like set aside like an hour every day, and you and your spouse need to go off you know, by yourself, get the kids away, put them asleep or something like that, get them, get them out of there. Because kids, kids will ruin any communication that you got, okay? Just been there, done that. They, they, they won't let you talk. So you have to put them to bed. You have to get in your own room, and you have to be able to talk about these things. And, and people will say, I'll tell them, you got to do it for like an hour. And they're like, what? An hour? I'm going to run out of things to say to them. There's nothing. I, I don't know what to say. And like, really? Yeah, I, I don't know what to say. I, well, well, let's just start with 20 minutes. And, and they'll go, well, what do I talk about? Well, the first thing we start about, let's start about this. Talk to them about your, your history. Then talk to them about your present, where you're at emotionally, your desires, and stuff like that. Then talk about your future. What do you plan to do with your life? What do you want to see going on with your life? What are your dreams? What do you want to see the kids do? What do you want to see this family do? Yada, yada, yada. So I said the real easy thing is when you talk to people, talk about past, present, and future. And that opens the person up. Uh, history, present, and future tells the person where I come from, where I'm at, and where I'm going. It's real simple. And it, you, can, you can do that as a template when you're talking to people. And then the other thing you have to do to connect, you have to have the ability to empathize with people. Um, and so what you're trying to do there, that's different than sympathy. Empathize means I have to feel their pain. I have to feel what they're going through. Okay. Now, we know that Christ feels our pain because he suffered more than the cumulative suffering of all humanity, right? So we know that our Messiah is what we call our sympathetic high priest. He empathizes and sympathizes with us because he feels the pain that we feel, okay? So you, Jesus, you can never go to Jesus and say, well, you don't know how it feels like. He knows how it feels like a million times over, right, for what he, what he went through. And, and so we have a, a God that relates to us, that empathizes with us and saves our tears in a bottle. Okay, so when you're trying to give agape out, one of the things you have to do is empathize with the person. So what do you mean? Well, it means you have to get into their pain. You have to feel their pain. And this is the problem with most people. They don't want to feel other people's pain. And do you know why? Because they don't want to feel their own pain. So they have a lot of pain inside of them. And what they try to do in their lives is avoid pain by stuffing it under you know, the carpet and under the rug, and I don't deal with it, and then we move on. And they've actually never grieved in their life. And that's one of the major problems is they, they don't grieve. Well, if you decide that you're not going to grieve and you're going to sweep problems or hurts and pains under the carpet and bury them, you're definitely not going to be able to connect to anyone because you will, you will not have the ability to empathize. You just can't feel anyone's pain because you can't even feel your own pain. You go actually numb. And so when you're actually, here's what will happen. You'll be in a conversation with somebody and you'll share a pain that you're having right now. Well, man, you know, I'm having this problem with my marriage, having this problem with my adult child, I'm having this problem over here, whatever it might be. And the person will say, uh-huh, hey, did you watch the game the other night? That's how they are. They will just move on. They won't sit there and say, man, wow, that's crazy. Whoa, what's happening? How are you handling that? They won't do that. They'll just switch the topic. And you can watch because they can't, they can't deal with it. So they, pu they pull away because of that pain. So they can't empathize. Number two, if you're going to be a connector, you have to understand. Now, understanding people is when they tell you why they did something stupid or something like that, you, just, you still have to understand it. You don't have to make a judgment call on it yet. Okay? You'll do that later. You'll do that later when truth comes in. But when you're connecting, the first thing is to understand why they're doing what they're doing. 
They come in and they tell you they're upset. Why are they upset? You have to ask. And then you have to understand that. And the way you understand that is say, I can see how you would be ticked off about that because I would be ticked off about that. And you validate that uh, by, by reemphasizing that you, you, you feel that pain. You understand what they're going through. You understand the dynamics um, and basically validate their experience. Now, they could be in the total wrong, by the way. They could be totally wrong at this point. But that's not my concern at this point. My concern is to connect first. I'll correct later. But my, my, my thing is I want to validate the experience. Well, I had this experience, and it was so bad, and yada, yada, yada. And yet you might be saying to yourself, yeah, it's, it's the mess you created. Uh, but you don't want to say that. Because if you say that and correct, you won't connect. So you have to understand, validate the experience. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Wow. Once you can do that, then you correct. But you can't correct first. Well, you shouldn't be feeling that way. See, this is a common thing among families, is that um, they had parents that didn't let them feel their emotions. And they, say, they, would, they would correct them, you shouldn't feel that way. How do you correct somebody how they're feeling? That's crazy. So they, what happens in most homes is emotions were suppressed, and the person wasn't able to express those emotions without being ridiculed or shut down or whatever. You know, the person wasn't able to grieve or be sad or whatever it might be. And so it's a total suppression and basically none of their, none of their emotions were validated, uh, whether they were right or wrong, but nothing was validated. So obviously that affects them later in life. So then we come to the truth. So you gotta do all those things first before you can give truth. Now, again, I'm not referring to, you know, like if we go on a mission trip and we go to El Salvador and we're, we're sharing the gospel, I mean, obviously in that situation, I, I'm not building a relationship with somebody. I'm giving propositional truth out. So there's times when you have to give propositional truth or correction, even like to a, a bore, a crazy school board, you know, that we had to go before. I'm not trying to build a relationship with those individuals. You, you're just there to give the truth. But when we're dealing with relationships around us, okay, I have to give grace first. Grace, then truth. And the grace is this. That's the connecting. Jesus comes in grace and truth. Notice the order. Grace is always first. Relationship first. Truth second. That's the order. So we're going to correct secondarily. Okay? I want, I want this person to know I'm for them. That's the idea in relation. I'm for you, man. Once I, can, I have the person to, to realize that I'm for them, then I can introduce truth, and it, the truth is more palatable. But if they, don't, they know I'm not for them because I'm not a connector, and I give truth, you're going to get rebellion. And this is the flaw that parents do, is they correct without relationship. So they correct, 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 and all they get is rebellious kid. But the real issue is the parent really doesn't have a relationship with the kid. If, and so to correct without relationship is rebellion. So um, one of the things about parenting is you better have a relationship before you correct. Now, there's times when you have to correct no matter what, but most parents don't even talk to their kids. I think the average is, what, 30 seconds or something like that? Most of, most of the time, the kid's on the phone or the, the kid's, uh, you know, playing video games or whatever. It, it's, not, it's not a lot. It's like, like it's, it's within the seconds, I think, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, a night or something like that. I can't remember what it is. You, you'd be shocked at the stats of how the parents don't interact whatsoever with, um, with their own kids. Okay, so you go to truth. Now, the truth has to be served up on the bed of relationship. And that's how you, you deal with the people around you. And then that becomes more accepting of that. Okay? So that's pretty simple. We all, I think we all know how to give the truth, but it has to be relationally driven with the people around us. Okay. The other thing we want to make note of is that healing needs to happen from wounds from people imp uh, important to, that were important to us. And that's what causes us to hide. So how do I do that? So these people that I trusted in my life... Um, people that were important to me, they wounded me. 
they, they, um, they didn't do exactly what they needed to do, whether it was a coach, a parent, whatever. There was no nurturing. There was no, there was no rules sometimes. They just let you run like a, 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 a peach orchard boar hog, and you were just wild, and you just did anything you wanted. And, and, and that's a, a child that, that, you know, they, 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 they recognized their parents didn't care enough for them to put rules around them. And then you have the other parent that was overbearing that too, put too many rules uh, and no relationship, and the kid flips out as well. So both of them end up in the same uh, uh, problems. But so he, healing needs to happen. Well, how does healing need to happen? Because those, person, those people typically won't apologize to you. Those people are not going to come and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. They typically don't do that. Some may, but some won't. Most won't. Some die, and they, you can never get any reconciliation from them, never get any apologies for, from them uh, for what they did to you. So what do you do? Are you going to go through a life as a victim? Say, poor me, I'm wounded, and that's why I'm deficient in my relationships? No, not at all. You're not supposed to be like that. You're supposed to process the truth, process the wounds with truth. So I go back, and I look at what the situation was, and I bring truth to the situation. How do I do that? First of all, I don't personalize it. That's the biggest mistake anyone can do, is when people wounded you, people personalized it, and what they said was, there must be something wrong with me for them to treat me like this. Okay? And you were just a kid. So there was, no, but the truth is, there was nothing wrong with you. The problem was with them, not you. But as a child or a teenager or whatever, you tend to personalize it, and you say, I, you, you, you idolize your parents, and you say, it, it cannot be them. It has to be me. And so you, you take that on, and that persona, I just, I just don't measure up. I'm, I'm not smart enough. I don't have the right personality. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not good-looking enough. I'm just not what dad wants. I'm not what mom wants, whatever. It's all those kinds of things. So you go back and you realize, wait a second, this wasn't about you. It was about two knuckleheads. That's what it was about. Two people that were raising you that perhaps were relationally deficient, that were messed up themselves, that had wounds from their past that carried on to them parenting you, and they didn't even know what they were doing with you. And, and so you were raised in such a situation, so you bring truth to that, and so what you want to do is depersonalize it by the truth. You're dealing with people who have a sin nature that maybe uh, weren't raised Christian, didn't know anything about Christianity, and if they were Christian, never practiced it really, never went, were discipled, and so they're, they're, they're de de deficient in raising you. Okay, so now what? So you, you, I depersonalized it, and then I'm gonna personalize it over here. What do you mean? I'm gonna personalize it in this. Where was God during those times? Okay, because the devil wants to hide that from you. He doesn't want you to see where God was when you were not being nurtured by your human relationships because God was there nurturing you at the same time, but he wants to hide that from you. So what you have to do is process that in truth, depersonalize it, come over here, and now I'm looking for God of how God made up for the lack of, of, uh, of what they gave me or what they did to me. How did God do that? So I'm looking for God's presence. I'm looking for God's provision. I'm looking for God's uh, purposes in my life. I'm looking for, for, for God's plan in my life. All those things, uh, how was he there? How, how did God protect me? I'm looking for his protection, all that stuff. Um, and, and then what you start doing is you actually can write it out. You write your story out. And then what you'll see is where was God, and you'll see him. All of a sudden, you wake up to it, and he's there. And then you're like, well, okay, well, okay, I didn't get the nurturing here, but God gave me this. And so you weren't actually not nurtured. You were actually nurtured by God, but you just didn't realize it. And he was there doing it for you. He was the surrogate parent that you, that, that you, you needed. And, and, and that's how you reprocess those kinds of things. Yeah. 
Bible, does the Bible tell us what allowed David and Jonathan to love each other as much as they did? How much? What Because they had great love for each other. It was, it was this. I mean, if you look at the interactions between Jonathan and David, they, they express these things to each other. And one of the things that I haven't got to yet is Jonathan's agape, self-sacrificing of his own lineage to David, realizing that, that, that David is actually the true king and that uh, Jonathan, in the line of Saul, is not. So there's the, the, uh, the sacrifice. Once, once you can come to grips with how agape is, with the self-sacrificing, that you actually have to give things up for the truth and, and for love, um, everything becomes clear as a bell. So, one, so Jonathan already has that kind of heart that he's not in it for himself. He's not here in it to be the next king. He wants to see what God's doing. And because of that humility, it's, it's David. So he sacrifices his own throne because God's hand is on David. So when you look at the interactions between them, they're both sharing each other the emotions, my father's going to kill you. They're, they're talking about all this stuff happening to each other and actually bonds them very tight because of what they're both going through and because they see the truth. And, and so David and, and Jonathan, I, I think, is one of the best examples of what we're talking about. And it has, it's, it has nothing to do with like romantic love or anything like that because they try to make them gay out there in the progressive thing, right? Have you heard that? Uh, the, 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 the LGBT said, oh, the, the, the two were gay. They're not gay. That's actually proper biblical bonding. And, but when you read their story, look what they're sharing with one another as far as openness is concerned. And right there, that's why they're bonded and the self-sacrificing, obviously. So it's a good, good illustration. So we got those healings that need to happen. So that, that needs to go. And then character needs to be developed for internal ability. Now, it's not just simply inside of us that needs to be healed. You have to build something inside of you. Because the, 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 the more you build your character, spiritually speaking, okay? We've talked about spiritual maturity in this. So the more you build your character, the more capacity that you'll possess in actually giving out agape love. So the stronger you are spiritually, the more agape you can do. That's the way it is. The, the, the weaker you are spiritually, the less agape you can give. Okay? And so you want to say, well, uh, how, do I, how do I deal with my enemies? Well, if you notice that you have a hard time loving your enemies, agape your enemies. Not, not emotionally attached to them, not Philadelphia, not Eros, not any of that. But you seek the best for your enemies. If you have a hard time with that, it has to do with your maturity levels in your character. Your character does not possess the capacity to encompass more of this agape. If you have hatred in yourself, if you have resentment, if you have bitterness, that means you can't agape. It means you have a deficiency in your character. So, so not only do you need to heal, you need to grow your character. How do you do that? Well, with the virtues in Scripture that you are told to, to increase in. You're told to increase in faith. You're told to increase in love and kindness and all these, these aspects that you, you know. And, and you're to work on those. You're to be better at it. You're to develop those. Obviously, through the power of the Holy Spirit and cooperating with him and yielding to him, your character needs to be built. This is called just practical discipleship. You have to grow in these areas. And if you do grow, it increases your capacity. Now, here's what, back to what you know, I was mentioning about surrender and sacrifice. Agape, you're not going to get out from agape without surrender and sacrifice. It's just part of the equation. Um, again, this is different than Philadelphia. And, and, and This is the one love that requires that you will have to sacrifice in order to do this. Think about this. Loving your enemies, that's going to require a sacrifice from you. Okay? To seek the best for them. Okay, let me give you an example. Uh, an enemy of yours, Gavin Newsom, okay? I'll just pull him out, okay? He is an enemy of yours and mine. And, but how am I supposed to love Gavin Newsom? It's hard. 
I need to grow in that area, I guess. I don't know. Or, or Joe Biden. I mean, come on. That's a hard pill to swallow. Fauci. Ah. Ex-wives. I mean, it could be anything, you know. How do I do that? Well, first of all, love, the lovability of them is not a requirement. Oh, that's a problem. Because they're not lovable, right? They're definitely not lovable. Gavin Newsom is definitely not lovable. Neither is Joe Biden. He's not lovable. So, if, if I have to love them and they're not, and deserving is not the issue, and what do, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, if you're having a hard time, then you have to look to what God did for you, okay? So, you know, Jesus gave the parable of, of if you remember, the guy who owed a debt, remember that, to the king, and he owed a tremendous amount of money, it was like a million dollars or whatever, and uh, the king forgave him. But then he went out and choked the, his other servant. He owed him like a buck or something like that. I'm, I'm contextualizing it into modern day language. But he owed him like a buck and he ring, wrung his neck, pay me that amount. And, and what the lesson was, look, man, why would you not forgive that little infringement when you had offended the king and you owed him all kinds of money and yet the king was willing to forgive you and you're not willing to forgive them? And again, uh, it, it, we're talking about forgiveness, but... I'm trying to bridge it to agape. It's the same concept. If God can self-sacrifice his son for you, being a sinner, that while we were still sinners, right, an enemy of him, right, condemned to hell because of that, um, that if he could do that for you, then, then why can't you do a little bit for them? Is the, is the, is the, con- the concept. It's the rabbinic way of going from the greater to the lesser. That's how the rabbinics talk. You went from the greater to the lesser. So if you're, you struggle in this, then you have to always come back to your relationship with God. Look how much you have been forgiven. Look how much God loved you. Look how much he gave and sacrificed for you. And so, uh, you know, with a Gavin Newsom, yeah, I'm not going to be pals with the guy because it's not required of me. So what would be the best? Uh, the best thing would be for him to get saved, right? That would be the best. And so you could pray for his salvation, pray for Joe Biden's salvation, but that's, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, you're not gonna seek revenge on these people or whatever because vengeance is the Lord's. And so you're gonna give over the justice to, 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 to God on the things you can't right uh, the wrongs with. And so... Um, this is where the sacrifice comes in. And you have to sacrifice this aspect of you. This is what's hard. Um, and most people don't want to sacrifice this. They don't want to let people go. They don't want to let people get, they think, well, if I do this, then I'm letting them get away with things. Well, you're not letting them get away with things. What can you do? Uh, yeah, we're going to fight on a local front, but really, can I stop Klaus Schwab? I can't. I, can't. I, I you know, he's evil. He's very evil. And, but what would be the best thing for Klaus Schwab? To get saved, not go to hell, okay. But that's about it, you know. Uh, there's nothing else I can do for that guy. But I'm not gonna be stewing all night worrying about Klaus Schwab, right? I'm not going to bed wringing my hands thinking I gotta get that guy. I've gotta stop him. There's something I have to do to stop Klaus. I'm not doing that, right? Um, because it's too big of an issue. But, you know, but really contextually, a lot of it will be with relationships in your family and friends and whatever, and, and there's a part of you that's going to have to sacrifice. You're going to have to put up with it, even though you don't like it, um, with their nonsense sometimes. Again, we're not talking about not putting boundaries and limitations on people, but if you're going to agape, you're going to have to sacrifice a piece of you. Now, here's another thing you have to think about. You have to hate well in love. This is what people don't understand. You have to hate everything that hurts goodness. 
for love to be proper, okay? And this is where we get the concept of protection, right? So um, God hates things. He hates sin, right? He hates the things people do. And, and one of the things about love, love seeks to protect. Agape love will protect. And again, because agape love will throw itself in front of a bullet for somebody. What did Jesus say about no greater love than this? That a man lay down his life for his friends. So that's self-sacrificing. So he protects. In order to protect, you have to hate well. You have to hate that which is evil. You have to hate that which is wicked. Again, you think this is like, to me and you, this is like normal. Yeah, right. But out there, it's not. They don't hate what is evil. They actually love it, don't they? they it destroys them. And, 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 and for churches to condone you know, gay marriage or gay affirming or transgenderism or uh, affirm abortion or whatever, um, they're not protecting, which means they're not agaping. Because agape would protect the innocent, right? And say, don't do that. Agape would stop, uh, try to stop a school board and, and, and teachers from grooming kids. That's what agape would do. So the person would sacrifice something to stop that, right? That's what's missing in our culture. That's what's missing in the church. The church will not sacrifice whatever it is, its reputation or whatever, to protect they don't want to be maligned and called a hater or whatever it might be. So, in love, you have to hate well. You have to hate the things God hates. Now, um, there we go. There we go. I'm going to end on there. So, with that being said, um, you have to take this out of the relationship as far as, you know, romantic relationships, dating relationship, and then you have to put it in the context of a persecuted church. And now I think you can understand that if we're under duress and under persecution, why I would have to have these traits in order to bond with other believers that need help. Because I've got to discern who can give me the help and who can't. Who's going to be there for me and who isn't? Will I be there for them? Can they rely on me? Can, they, can I be trustworthy? Can I be faithful? Can I be dedicated to them? See, because they're going to, as much as you need them, they need you. And so this is the essence of, of the persecuted church. It really is. This is how they made it. This is how they survive. And so I'm prepping you for all of this because what's about to come down the pipe, if we're not raptured anytime soon, is going to put the church under duress. It's going to put believers in America like they've never seen them before. And so you will need to know how to bond with one another. Okay? Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.